My name is Jimmy Ranshaw. I'm the uh, next-gen minister here at Plum Creek. So if your eyes are deceiving you, going, man, Doug gained some weight. No, it's just me. Um, he's actually off having some good rest time for himself. Uh, I am thrilled to be speaking to you guys today about this, this sermon series that we've been going through. Uh, we kicked this year off as, uh, with a year of the kingdom. That is our theme, and we've been talking about the, these kingdom things, this mindset that God, that Jesus set out before us and, and, and the Gospels, and we've actually transitioned into these kingdom stories, these, these, uh, these stories that Jesus used to teach us these little tiny things that will totally change how we live our lives for him. And so it is my honor today to kind of carry that on and, and look at a story that I really love, but I also find hits me very hard. And so that's going to be in Matthew chapter 20. So if you could go ahead and open up in your Bibles, whether that's a physical Bible or if that's on your phone, your app, open up to chapter 20. That's where we're going to be. As you're doing that, I want to tell you a little story. Several years ago, uh, we decided to take our family on a vacation to a place that is ruled by a mouse and steals your money from you, and you're happy about it. This is Disney World. Anyone been there before, right? Yeah, Disney World, you've been there. It's a great time. It's wonderful, and you go, wow, man, I didn't know that a turkey leg could cost $15, right? But it's a magical, wonderful thing. And I remember going down there. We were only there, down there for a couple days, and they were, were jam-packed. We tried to get as much done as we possibly could in those couple days. At the end of the second day, we were riding the tram back to our hotel, and we are getting out of there, and we, we, we got into our hotel, and they were like, man, we're still hungry. So there was like a McDonald's right down the road. And when you have young kids, the best place to eat is where? McDonald's. Not so much as an adult, but for them, they love it. So we went to McDonald's, and as we were there, we're standing in line, and, uh, and there, it was quite busy, and so we're there with our younger ones, and, and I, I saw this person kind of like edging their way into the line. You ever seen that before? You know, like you're standing there, and this person's like slowly trying to get in to the line in front of you, and, and I'm like, are you serious? They think they're just going to cut right in front of, like, all of us here, right? And he's like, like, the first person wouldn't let him in. Like, the next person wouldn't let him in. And then he's, this, really, this person's getting right in front of us, and we're getting up closer. And I'm, at that point, my patience had been gone. You know, I'm, I, I'm, and I'm looking at my wife the whole time and looking down here, and, you know, we're having that, like, mental conversation you have with your, 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 your boyfriend, girlfriend, or your husband, wife, like, uh-huh, can you believe this? No, this is not happening. Not today, not right now. This is not happening. This punk is not going to be cutting in front of us and taking my time away from me and my children's food time away from them. This is not happening. And so I'm having that conversation with her and with our eyes. And looked down, and finally he like did the full move, like here was the line, he kind of just went home right in front. And I was like, boom. And I turned and I gra- I said, Hey, listen, young man. The line starts all the way back there. This seventh grader must have been like, ah, big scary bearded man yelling at me, right? And I lost it. I did. I this, this is shame on me, but I, 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 and I pointed him back. He got to the back of the line and everything else, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I did my thing. I made sure everything was right in the world and everything was right. And I look over at my wife, and she's just like shaking her head at me. 
See, obviously our conversation was not the same conversation we were having that I thought we were having. In our lives, we get caught in these moments where we want to rule all and what we want to make sure what is right is right. We call this term fairness. We like to think about fairness. And the problem is that fairness is always viewed through our own perspective, isn't it? And so today we're going to be looking at a story that Jesus is teaching in this parable to these followers about what kingdom, the kingdom should look like and also what fairness should look like. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. So here in Matthew chapter 20, we picks up, it says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, which is for one day, and sent them, uh, and sent them into his field. Now, a denarius is, is one day's wage, okay? One day's full payment. That's what they agreed to. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever, what is, or whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, and about, or about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and, f- and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call all the workers and pay them their wages, beginning from the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and received a denarius. So when those came, those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were, uh, these who were hired last only worked for one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have, been, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I, will, uh, I want to give the one who has hired the last as the same I gave you. Don't I have the right to do that, to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. I love this story because oftentimes I find myself convicted when I read this story. Oftentimes I feel like I'm one of these early workers. A person that has been asked to do something, done it exactly the way it's asked, And then when reward comes around, I believe I've done such a good job, I deserve maybe more. Anybody there? You like to have that extra special attention? Maybe that's because I kind of grew up in the generation where everyone got a trophy for everything, right? Which is now exponentially much bigger now that my daughter is in dance competitions and there's like not just trophies, there's ribbons and banners and everything else. But we look back in the, in the New Testament and we see kind of the same attitude, don't we? Hey, I did all hard work. I was here from the beginning of the day. I worked all day long and you're going to give this person who was only here an hour the same thing that I'm going to get? That's not fair. That 
is not fair. And that leads me to my first point. It's really important here is this. God's sovereignty trumps our view of fairness. God's sovereignty trumps our view of fairness. Now, if you guys don't know what that term sovereignty means, it's a really, really fancy biblical word, or really religious word that we use. So really, all authority. God being God. His ownership and his, his being our king trumps what we think is fair. Why? Because he's the creator of our world. Why? Because he can see further beyond what we can actually see, know, and experience. And why? Because he is God and we are not. See, when we try to look at stuff with our own views of fairness, unfortunately, we have the problem of our own, you know, our own well-being and our own, you know, position can be threatened. And see, when God looks at fairness, he sees all of his children that he loves. He sees everyone he wants to save. He knows us by our great works, and he knows us also in our worst times. And God's sovereignty, his view of fairness will always be better than your or mine. I like it this way. Those of us who have been parents before or have children, young children now, when two of your young children are fighting over a toy, which neither of them really, really want to play with, we know the fight is just because they want to have a fight, We can see what is fair and what's not, and we make a ruling in that fairness. And in that time, somebody feels there that it's not fair, right? Many times in our lives, we forget that we are children of God, that he is our father, that he knows what is best, that he wants to root us on and to make us better versions of ourselves. And the only way that we can start doing that is to understand that our fairness is not the same view as his fairness. Because he has this ultimate compassion over everyone. And unfortunately, we fall into this trap of selfishness for, and looking for ourselves. There's one, one statement that always jumps out to me whenever I hear the term fairness. It's something that many of my CCU professors would say over and over and over again. They would say this, that fairness ended in the garden. Fairness ended in the garden. Now, those of you don't maybe not know, familiar with the entire Bible story, but in the Garden of Eden, that is where the fall of mankind happened, where, where the serpent tempted Adam and Eve, and Eve was the one who, who first took the bite and then gave it to Adam because he was standing there not doing what he should have been doing. And, and they both ate, and they fell together, and they fell into sin, and sin came into this world and created this separation that we have now between God and us. And understand this, that fairness, our view of fairness, our real true view of fairness, it ended in that garden. So the only real fairness that we see is from the Lord. And so I'm kind of I'm going to be working our way backwards through this parable. So we have these guys that feel that it's unfair. And it's interesting in the verse 15 that it says, uh, or are you envious because I'm generous? That, that envious term there, that, that, that word in the Greek, really actually means to have an evil heart. And when you become jealous of someone... Isn't it kind of like your heart is evil? 
In these moments, we, in this moments, in this passage, we see this awfulness of jealousy. And in our lives, when we're struggling with fairness, a lot of times we're dealing with jealousy in our heart. We get jealous of people and the things that God may have provided them. And you go, God, why didn't you provide them with me? Or, dang, that's not fair. They've got something. I don't have that. We struggle with it. We get angry with it. A lot of times we blame the other person, right? We get mad that maybe they look better in an outfit that you think you should look good in or they got better you know, gifts given to them that you might want to have or, or that they have got a better car and they shouldn't deserve that better car. You should have that better car, right? Maybe they have a better house or a better position in their, in their career. Maybe it's easier for them to take tests and pass them. Maybe it's easier for them to build relationships with other people, whether that be, you know, friendships or, you know, dating relationships. Maybe somebody else's marriage is better than yours, and you get mad, and you get upset, and you get frustrated, but the reality is that jealousy comes down to one thing, one attitude, and Andy Stanley says it best. He says, jealousy is rooted in the mindset that God owes me something. It's rooted in this idea that God, you didn't give me that. And so you owe me this. Now, as I state that, it can sound kind of harsh. I don't know about you. I don't want to be telling God that he owes me something. I thank God every day that I even had breath from the night before. It's really amazing the fact that God created us in a way that our bodies will naturally go to sleep and we will continue pumping our heart and breathing and dreaming, and waking up when our kids cry out for us with a rush of adrenaline, right? That's amazing how God created us. But when jealousy starts ruling your heart, you forget about all that. You start thinking, God, you didn't give me that. God, why'd you make me in this body? Why didn't you make me like my brother? He's tall. He can slam the ball. I can't do that. Why don't you make me about like my, my sister? She's smart. She can get good grades. I have to study really hard. That's not fair. See, jealousy can ruin how you view God. Jealousy can ruin how you view other people. And it will ruin your life. And so we see it right here. These workers in the field, it ruined this gift that was being given to them. Now we understand in this parable, if you haven't picked it up by now, this, this payment you know, of the same denarius. What is this really? This is the offer, what he's talking about, of salvation. This is the offer of eternal life that was offered to them. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But jealousy keeps us from really seeing things from a godly perspective. So I'd like to give us two things to help us overcome jealousy in our lives. Two things that can be practical that can help you. The first thing is this. Have honest prayer time with God. Have, when you pray, be completely open and honest with him. I have found in my life, when I'm upset with God and I tell him, that is when he helps me the most. Uh, don't get me wrong, we should pray and put God where he is, up and above, but we should honestly tell him how we feel and how we think. And I love it back here in the scripture you know, he heard, the landowner heard him grumbling, and they, he asked him, what's wrong with you? And they said, well, we don't think this is fair. 
I think Jesus kept that in there so that way we can see. When we are in our prayer times, open up your heart to him. Scripture tells us that we are to cast all of our fears and anxiety upon God. He is big enough to take that. We see people throughout the Bible who, who don't think things are going right. When Job finally breaks down and doesn't think that things are going being fair, and God sits there and goes, yeah, I'm God and you're not. Don't worry, I'm going to take care of you, right? We need to be open and honest with God. Sometimes it's better even to, in that openness, not just sit there and say it in your head, but speak it out loud. Write it down. And ask God to change your heart. To help you see what you're not able to see. Oftentimes when I see my frustrations, when I don't feel like God, I'm seeing God work, it's because I'm not able to see what he is seeing. And I just ask him, Lord, let me see what you see. Let me understand that perspective so I can better understand you. The second thing that is this, and this is huge, start celebrating others. You want to conquer jealousy in your life? Start praising others. When somebody else comes in with a brand new whatever, new phone, <laughs> new, new uh, car, new home, new purchase of property, new gun, I mean, whatever that's new there, celebrate them. Say, man, that's great. That's wonderful that God bless you with that. I'm so happy for you. As you celebrate others and you lift them up, that, that jealousy will go away. It'll get pushed away. You should help be in their excitement. And that's hard because naturally we just want the things for us. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, as someone who is stepping foot in foot, we need to lift others up. Look at Jesus. Jesus lifted people up all the time, didn't he? He celebrated those. He wanted people to come. And Romans 15 says this, 1-2. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. If you can think about yourself as someone who is to build other people up, that's a great thing, isn't it? As a parent, I want to build my children up. I encourage them. I tell them what they're good at. I also sometimes have, the, have to do the harsh reality of telling them what they're not so great at and how they can get better. But we do that in love and compassion, don't we? But think about that as you're like, if you think about yourself as a person that is there to build others around you, how much good could you do? How much influence could you have? And not just for your own glory, for God's glory and for the glory of the kingdom. We need to be quick to do that. We need to understand that, you know, jealousy kills the joy in your life. And we're called to have joy. So the, the best way to have joy is to start celebrating, to build that up. As a uh, UC fan, I'm very used to losing, and so this past year for football, it was really a pleasant surprise. But being a UC fan, I'm, I'm surrounded by two great, great fan bases, a UK fan base, but also an Ohio State fan base. 
And for the longest time, I would be very jealous because you guys win all the time, right? It's really hard. And I found a couple years ago that if I just started celebrating with them, knowing that here's the reality, we don't hardly ever play each other, just we're rivalries because we're within a, a total of 300 miles of each other. But if I start celebrating with them, the conversations I have are so much more fruitful. They're so much more fun. They're so much more interactive. And yes, I understand. You, you see as you see. I'm going to be an underdog my whole life. And I can become very bitter because of that. Or I can jump aboard and help you guys out and cheer on with you and help build things up. That creates joy in your life. The second thing that brings me to my second point here is you must resist the temptation of kingdom position and embrace the privilege of kingdom work. See, in our lives, we want to have the best position possible. We want to work to achieve, to get higher and higher in whatever we do. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can become a bad thing. And in the kingdom of God, God cares more about kingdom work than kingdom positions. And that's why when, when Jesus is telling this story, he's talking about guys working, coming and working all throughout the day. Knowing that the listeners at the time going, well, yeah, okay, those guys worked harder, so they should deserve more pay. They should deserve another step up. They should be, be above these other people that are the last day, primarily because when he's telling this story, this was a common thing that would happen. Workers who were not bond servants or bond slaves to a family, if they had no employment, they would go out in the marketplace and they would wait to be called to be hired as a hired hand each and every day. And the best workers would get picked first. And if you were standing around by the end of the day, typically it's because you weren't that good of a worker. And so they all understood. As Jesus, or the landowners coming and picking these people, yeah, these guys at the end of the day, they must not be very good. So why would you give them the same pay as you're giving the best workers? Well, it's because Jesus is trying to show, like that, show everyone that the kingdom work is way more important than the kingdom position. We need to understand that God expects us to work in the kingdom. Now, we say the term work, and unfortunately, that has a negative tense to everyone, right? Like, I don't like work. Work is, no, I don't want to work. But let me tell you this. When you are working and serving Jesus, it's not work. It's building the kingdom. It's something that's glorious. It's something that will change your life. And honestly, at this, over the next month or so, we're going to be challenging all of us here to participate in this thing called Week of Serving. Now, Jared's going to come up at the end of the service here and tell you more about that. Um, but one of the ways is that you can serve, and I'm going to shamelessly plug here, uh, we have Easter Jam, which is going to be like a, a big Easter egg hunt here at the church, and we need eggs to be filled. And we've got these brown, like, Kroger bags out by the information center, if you want to grab one of those bags, read the card, fill those up, and return them by, uh, by April 10th, we'd really appreciate that because many hands makes light work. And so that's one option that we're going to have for this week of service. Yes, it's small, but not all kingdom work is big. We are also going to have, Jared's going to bring it up here, a lot of other areas to serve for that week. We want to have a week of blessing upon 
our, our God's kingdom and our community. And so he's going to tell you more about that. But understand this, in Colossians 3, 15 through 17, it says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and to be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and the song of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Did you get that? Whatever you do, in word or deed, in word or work, Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What that means is you need to redefine your work you do every single day is you are not working for your boss. You are working for Jesus. And when you can start thinking like that, all the little tiny annoying things that you might have to do in your job that you hate gets changed, doesn't it? Because you're no longer doing it to you know, make a boss or a team leader happy. You're doing it to serve your Lord. But that is a mindset change that needs to happen. And you might be thinking to yourself, okay, Jimmy, how do I do that? Well, here's four ways you can do that. Four ways of how to develop a kingdom work mindset. The first is this. State that you are working for Jesus daily. State it. Don't just think it. State it out loud. Now, this is what we, you may have heard before as like a daily affirmation. And I know some of you, when I say that, may be thinking of the Saturday Night Live skit from the 90s with Stuart Smalley, where it was this guy who was dressed up in a, in a sweater vest, and he had his come, come over, and he's like, he's like, Stuart, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. You know, people think about that skit, and they think a daily affirmation is something weird and weak that people do. no. Affirming yourself and who you are and whose you are is a strong thing that you can do for your life. And if you can say it out loud to yourself, I'm working for Jesus today, that's going to cement it into your mind and into your heart on who you're going to be working for, who you're going to be serving. Say it out loud. Don't be quiet about it. Speak it out. We need to work through that. Second thing is, build, time, or build prayer times into your daily schedule. I've talked about this before. We have this beautiful thing with technology now to where we can literally tell our phone to set reminders for us, and it will do it. I have a reminder set on my phone at 2.20 or 2.30, depending on which one I actually have on. It says prayer and push-ups. Now, I will tell you this. I pray a lot more than I do my push-ups at 2.30. This is just truth. One day, I left my phone in the office and I went down and did something for like a half an hour. And when I came back, they're like, Jimmy, you got to do your prayer and push-ups because your alarm's been going off for a half an hour. You know, they kept silencing it. But we have this beautiful technology that we can set that up. If you're a planner person and you write everything out during the day, write in prayer time to center yourself. Not just like, three, you know, do it every other hour just to center yourself and to create that kingdom work mindset. Third thing is this, identify one person you can help each day. Before the day begins, write down a name. Who am I going to ask how I can help them? Step out of your normal role to be kind and loving to somebody else. And if they reject you, that's okay. That's fine. Maybe ask somebody else. Get in that mode of looking out for others, building other people up. And the last thing is this. Look at interruptions as opportunities, not a waste of time. 
Those of us who have been working on things and you've been in your office and next thing you know, someone pokes their head and, hey, can I, you got a minute? And you're going, oh, I do not have a minute for you. You understand that, right? Or someone come in, let me tell you about this. Oh, I don't know. I'm in the middle of something, right? Take those moments. Look at those as opportunities. God might be sending them in there because they need to hear from you. God is going to use you in their life at that moment. This is very hard for someone like me. It's very hard because I get distracted very easy. ADHD, Jimmy Ranshaw. And so when interruptions come, I'm like, I'm done for like an hour. I got to get back to normal. And I realized a long time ago that this is one way that God is still speaking into my lives and how I can be a blessing to somebody else. Now, don't get me wrong. You still get your work done. Okay, still so we'll get back to work after that. But do not despise these interruptions because God could be using them as big things in your life. My last point is this. Salvation cannot be earned. It is a gift offered us by a loving and generous God. I have to state that because I think sometimes if you look at this parable the wrong way, you can say, oh, so we have to work in order to earn our salvation. That is not what Jesus is saying right here. Salvation, the gift of eternal life, being saved forever, is a gift that is given to us by God. It's interesting, as I was working on this last point, um, I had something written up, and it, it was okay. I believe it was okay. But we had Superstart this past weekend with uh, fifth and sixth grade, or fourth and fifth graders. And so we took a bunch of fourth and fifth graders from here to a conference where they did awesome, amazing, great things. This is through Christ and youth, who we also do move. And they taught the kids the gospel. They taught them that the gospel means the good news, and they, they taught them, and they walked them through what it is, what it looks like. And they said, look, there's sin, right? And then you're saved, and then you're sent. Those were the three things. And they talked about the fall. They told them about the separation that happened because of the fall. And how Jesus Christ came and took that separation away. And they really hammered home to them that this is a free gift. See, oftentimes we get confused. We're like, oh, I'm a Christian, so I have to work. No, you're a Christian. You said yes to God, and now it is your privilege to go out and work. You work because of your love, not because of something you think you can earn, because the truth is there's nothing we can do to earn our own salvation. Jesus is the one that paid that penalty. And the scripture they use for the weekend is this right here. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live and you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work of those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and thoughts like the, rest of, uh, like the rest, we were all na by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved. And, is God, and God raises us up with Christ and has seated him in, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages 
he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not, for, not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This salvation, it's a gift. And you can accept to take it or deny it. But if you take it, you understand this. You are stepping into a wonderful kingdom. A kingdom where you will work, but the work is not the same work. It's not this work that we deal with day in and day out. It's a work that saves lives. That makes a difference. And Superstar did a great job explaining this. They had this really thing. The whole thing was on, like, unlocked was the whole idea. And they had these keys, and they had all these codes, and they actually gave them this way of using this booklet to use this key to, like, present the gospel to their, to their friends. And they challenged them. They challenged them. They said, in the next month, we want you to share the good news, the gospel, to one of your friends that doesn't know it. And I'm going to challenge you to do the same thing. If we are asking fourth and fifth graders to do that, we can do that, can't we? To share that gospel. You know it. You know. You've heard it before. And maybe you're in this room and you've never heard it before. And I'm going to tell you this. Jesus died for your sins. Your sins created a gap between you and God that you could not get back to together. But Jesus took all of your sins on that cross. He died and he laid in a tomb. And on that third day, he did the most miraculous thing ever. He rose again to conquer death. That's the gospel in a nutshell. You can tell that to others. And you should be telling that to others. Because this is a gift that was given to you. And now it's our turn to give that gift to other people. So are you ready to give that gift away? Let's pray. Father God... We thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for everything that you've blessed us with. Lord, we ask that you just build us up into the kingdom that you want us to be. Let us do our best to glorify you in the best way we can. Lord, let us be able to overcome jealousy when it comes and let us celebrate others. And let us be generous in this gift of offering a salvation to other people. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.